Today's uh, episode lesson is from the First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12-31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were, were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, or we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the, the ear would say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with, with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then did of power then gift of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all in, in, interpret but strive for the greater gift? And I will show you a still more excellent way. Today's gospel reading is from 
The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah wasn't given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it, to, gave it, gave it back to the, the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Well, you uh, are a rugged lot coming out on a snowy day. It is good to be together. Um, I was anticipating uh, coming here when when the staff met this week and we were talking about should we cancel, should we have one service, and when we thought, you know, we're all creatures of comfort. Those who come to the 9 o'clock are going to come to the 9 o'clock. Those who come to 11 o'clock are probably going to come to the 11 o'clock. So we decided to have both, and praise God. We have now two, two auditions of the choir for Peter to <laughs> recruit from. <laughs> it's, it's great to worship in this setting. Um, I, I can't help but wonder what people were thinking when they were watching us all shovel out early this morning about what was so important that we had to get to. Why not just stay home? Warm, cozy, we dug out. We faced some sense of um, lack of ease. I don't call it dis-ease, but lack of ease. And we came here. And I wonder if our neighbors were watching us shovel out and thinking, what are they doing on Sunday morning? Oh, oh, that's right. They're Christians. They're going to church. It it must just add to the the layers of doubt and questioning that people must have about us as Christians. I, I sense that they probably, there's a growing number of folks who are in the world that just think we're a little bit crazy, and that's all right. Francis of Assisi once referred to himself as a fool for Christ. It's okay. It's sometimes good to be foolish for Christ and to live out our faith and let the world think we're a little crazy. To worship this God who cannot be seen. To 
spend a week vacation doing a mission project, to give our money, our hard-earned money to support this church and the ministries of this church, people must think we're crazy. And then if they really know who we are and see how we forgive each other when we disagree with each other, that must be astounding. What group does that? What group, when they join the church, makes an oath to one another that we will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness? I don't know of any. This may be more and more important uh, for us to live into as we enter the political cycle of the calendar year. For we are Republicans and Democrats and I suppose independents and libertarians and perhaps other political traditions and yet we love each other and forgive each other and stay in relationship with each other. There's very little modeling of that going on in the world. You know, if you turn on the TV, it's all about who's right, who's wrong and never the two will meet. It's just a constant splitting, constant opposition. And here we are a model of people who have different viewpoints, different politics, and yet we're called to follow Christ together. That may be what God is calling us to do in this season of life is to keep coming and investing in this community, investing in our worship life, investing in our discipleship because the world needs it. A witness. They need a model of what is possible in such a fractured society. The Apostle Paul seems to address some of this in his letter to the church in Corinth. I find it interesting that we're a small congregation today in the midst of the... How many inches of snow did we get? A lot. <laughs> you got 20... 20, 20, 22 inches. Um, so we're, we're, a com- we're a community of, community of faith that can fit in the choir loft today. That's about the size of the house churches in Corinth. It wasn't a mega church that Paul was writing to. It wasn't a church even our size that Paul was writing to. Paul was writing to probably a small group of house churches that were 5 to 10 people, 12 people. And that church, the early community of Christians in Corinth, were having some problems that are understandable for new Christians. New Christians argue about things, and they usually argue about ego stuff. Who's better? Who's got more power? Who's got more authority? Who has better gifts? Who is more applauded in the community of faith? That's what early Christians do. And that's what the Corinth church was doing. And Paul said to them, don't worry about who's right or who has more power. In fact, focus on your oneness in Christ and you'll be okay. Focus on your oneness in Christ. And all of those little arguments will take their rightful place. He says, when you are in Christ, there is no male or female. That's pretty radical in the first century. It's even radical now in some circles. Paul was saying to the early church, yeah, I know the divisions of slave or free. Enslaved people have no rights and privileges. Free people have all the rights and privileges. But when you're in Christ, you're brothers and sisters. That turns everything on its head in first century Christianity or first century culture. 
And when he says you're in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. That's unbelievable in the first century. That turns everything on its head as well. Paul is saying to the early church, I know your arguments. I know your debates. I know your discussions. I know your disagreements. But in Christ, all those things can fade away. So keep investing in your oneness in Christ. I am more and more convinced that we, as a church in Chatham, need to focus on a prayer that we pray every Sunday at the 11 o'clock service. It's a prayer from the great Thanksgiving at communion. It's, it's almost hidden in plain sight, as so often God is. God is hidden in plain sight most of the time. God's everywhere. But how many times are we really aware of God's presence? Paula D'Arcy used to say, God comes to us disguised as our life. God comes to us disguised as our life. Sometimes we just need to look or open our eyes or perhaps pray for God to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see where God is. There are some times when I'm saying the words of the great Thanksgiving where I am stopped in my tracks every once in a while. I am choked up when I get to these words. And I'm reading that, I'm discerning that as perhaps more than just something for me. I am sensing that God may be saying to the Chatham United Methodist Church, this is something for you and for us together. I pray um, by your spirit, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, the words go in the hymnal for the great Thanksgiving. By your spirit, make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other and make us one in ministry to all the world. That may be something for us to pray as a congregation. We prayed it in our bulletin today. It was part of our call to worship. Last week, we had a conversations in the spiritual life, and those of you who were there, we talked about this prayer, and we, you heard a challenge from me, and I, I include you today and, and those who are worshiping on, online today to pray this prayer every day. Make us one with Christ. Make us one with each other. And make us one in ministry to all the world. If we consistently prayed for that, the Holy Spirit will honor that prayer and open us to new ways of being one with Christ. You know, that's our, that's our goal in all the Christian ed and spiritual formation we do here, in all the worship we do, in all the spiritual uh, growth groups, in the, in the small group ministries. The hope is that we become one with Christ and even more one with Christ. Or perhaps more aware of our oneness in Christ. We're already one with Christ. And it's not because we're good. It's because God is good. Everything we do in our community here is to make us one with each other. What we're planning next Sunday evening, the open mic night with the youth and the taco dinner, that's about being one with each other. What we do in brunch between services, one with each other. All of the fellowship that we enjoy, one with each other. And then the hope is that the Holy Spirit can make us one in ministry to all the world 
to reach out. We shared just during the announcements that we have this coat drive going on. And we put it on our Facebook page. And Peter, how many hits have we had? Or how many views have we had on our invitation to the community to bring in a coat? 900. 900 people. That's being one in ministry to all the world. To those who have no coat in weather like this, there are people in Morristown that have no coat. Perhaps our job is to help invite others to be one in ministry to the whole world, regardless of what their faith background is, regardless of what their tradition is. That may be our common ground in caring for those who are in need. Paul goes on to say, he uses this great metaphor of the body. The church is the body of Christ, and we don't all have the same function. Maybe not everyone is called to bring coats to Morristown, but maybe someone's function is to bring coats here. Maybe another person's function, I can tell you whose function in the body of Christ I'm grateful for today, Donald Underhill. Donald Underhill is our custodian and sexton. His team was here all day yesterday. They stayed over last night to shovel us out. Raheem, Ronnie, Robert, and Donald. Part of the unsung heroes of the body of Christ. And Paul says, lift up the unsung heroes. They're just as vital as any of the high-profile stuff that anyone else does. Paul says, how can the ear say to the eye, I don't need you? How can the eye say to the feet, I don't need you? How can the feet say to the hands, you're of no use to me? Paul says we all have something different. We all bring something different to the body of Christ, and it's all vitally important if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. This week I was pondering this passage and and doing some reading about family systems theory. Family systems theory is is something that not only do good therapists understand, but uh, it's taught at seminaries so that church leaders can understand how churches work. Family systems is a way of looking at the whole body of Christ, what works well, what doesn't work well, and why. A healthy system, and this, by the way, will apply to all of our families and all of our workplaces. A family system that is healthy allows people to be individuals and stay connected, to be self-defined, not other-defined, self-defined and connected to the community. Churches are healthy when we allow that space to allow diversity, variety, uniqueness, individuality, but also connected to each other. If we're so far off the scale in our individuation that we can't stand being with each other, then individuals are of really no use to the body of Christ unless we're connected. Likewise, if we're too connected and trying to conform and don't allow for individuality, we're suffering. Do you see the balance that good systems have? Uh, I read this week in... Oh, by the way, in, one of the ways that we can keep that in balance is to remain non-anxious and to trust that God is in our midst doing something, even when we don't understand other people's individuality. It's okay. We trust that they're created in God's image. They're beloved of God And we've been called together. That's the kind of trust that churches need if we're going to be non-anxious. 
And if we can remain non-anxious, then the whole system will be okay. Um, some of you can correct me. I'm not a scientist. But in, in, the, in a healthy body, white blood cells surround uh, toxic cells or cancerous cells and tell them not to replicate or surround them in such a way that they don't grow or they go somewhere else. Is that what, what was the word we came up with at, 11, at uh, the 9 o'clock service? That was it. Could be. We didn't come up with that, but I like that. <laughs> I like that. Say that again, Meg. Uh, antigens and antibodies. Antigens and antibodies. Yeah. So uh, every healthy system needs that. Yeah. So do churches. So if toxic behavior is, let's say, gossip, sowing seeds of ill will against other people, bad-mouthing other people, all good healthy systems and healthy churches have white blood cells that surround that behavior and say, that is not helpful here, and you cannot replicate yourself. You know what angry people like to do? Make other people as angry as they are. That's how, that's how it works. If healthy churches can say, no, that uh, will not be replicated here, you can keep feeling that, but sowing seeds of ill will is not going to be helpful. That behavior will either die or go elsewhere. So a healthy system um, has that kind of defense mechanism. I read something this week that is very appropriate, especially after we've spent 24 hours inside cooped up in the snow. Family Systems has an expression called togetherness pressures. <laughs> now, Julie and Matthew and Elizabeth and I had a, a great time yesterday. We shoveled together. We made cookies together. We ate all sorts of good food together, did puzzles, watched some YouTube videos on each other's Facebook pages. It was We had a great time. But I know other families didn't have such a great time. I saw it on their, on their Facebook feeds, like, I can't wait to get out of here. Or I, That may be the togetherness pressures that they were feeling, and maybe that's why some of you are here today, is to get out of the house. I don't know. But togetherness pressures, as family systems understands it, is the system saying, you must conform. You must believe like we believe. You must say things like we want it said. And when that happens to any system or any church or any denomination, anxiety ratchets up. And people have a hard time giving each other space to be different, space to be unique, space to use their own spiritual giftedness. I sense our denomination needs that understanding right about now. Because in May of this year, our general conference is going to gather United Methodists throughout the world. And we are different. We have different ways of faith, being faithful. We have different understandings of scripture. We have different understandings of what it is to follow Jesus. And I pray that we will give each other, as United Methodists, that space to be unique, to be different, to be contextually in ministry in a way that makes sense. But there are voices in every denomination and in ours too that say, no, we must be orthodox. We must believe in these tenets and there is no wiggle room here. What happens there is the whole system gets anxious and doesn't function at its best or most faithful. 
Paul is saying to the early church, allow each other some space. You all have different gifts. You all have different experiences. You all have different spiritual um, sweet spots. Allow that to be. Seek your oneness in Christ, but don't give up on the variety that God seems to like. If we are all the body of Christ, and some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are mouths and hands, and some of us are feet, some of us are all heart, some of us are all head, we need each other. We need each other. So what is our call if we are the body of Christ? What should we be about? I want to touch briefly on the gospel lesson that Sung Soo read today from the gospel of Luke where Jesus gives his, his first sermon, at least his first recorded sermon, that is almost his platform. This is what he's about, and for followers of Jesus, this is what we're invited to be about. He goes to his home synagogue, where people watched him grow up in Nazareth. He is handed the scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, he opens the scroll to the same passage that we read about in, in Luke 4, but he, in the Hebrew Scriptures, he opens to Isaiah chapter 61. Before I read this, I want to just riff a little bit. You've heard me talk about we become who we worship. If, God, if we worship a God who's a judgmental God, chances are we're going to become judgmental Christians. If we think that God is an angry God, chances are we're going to become angry Christians. If we think God is a rule-keeping God who wags God's finger at us when we break the rules, guess what kind of Christian we're probably going to become? A finger-wagging, rule-keeping Christian. If we believe God is a loving God, chances are better we're going to become loving Christians. If we believe God is a forgiving, merciful God, Chances are we're going to become forgiving, merciful Christians. Some have asked me, you know, what do you do, Jeff, with all the wrathful God images in the Hebrew scriptures? You never, you never preach about that God. I don't. <laughs> and I probably won't. And I have, I have justification by Jesus himself on this. Because Jesus had a choice when he picked up the scroll of Isaiah to read the whole thing through. He didn't. He left out the wrathful, vengeful part. In fact, what he read, he stopped mid-sentence and didn't even complete the verse because it was mentioning a vengeful God. And Jesus is saying, don't focus on the vengeful stuff. It won't help you. Focus on the essence of God's love and God's love for all people. That's what Jesus seems to prioritize. Listen to what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. By the way, followers of Jesus, this is part of our task. To bind up the brokenhearted. This is part of our, our task. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To, to live a, a life of jubilee. And release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in Luke, Jesus stops reading 
hands the scroll back and sits down. If he had kept reading, he would have read this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. He left it out. Jesus wants us to focus on the image of God who loves all people and cares for all people and wants us as people of faith to care for all period. Full stop. I'd like to end with this prayer from Teresa of Avila, 16th century Christian. I made copies on your way out. You can take them. She writes, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. May it be so for you and for me and for the church of Jesus Christ for the whole world. Amen.